Robert True, I have known for years. He was an actor. He was gay. People never, ever think that. He taught classes uh, for kids, uh, you know, just kid kids, not uh, privileged kids. And he also, like, there were so many kids on this show, he, they would be corralled and he could teach them. He was as kind as he was large. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy. Hey everybody, I'm Kobe. And I'm Dave. And welcome to The Wire Strip Podcast. We're the podcast that goes through each episode of The Wire week by week. Yes, and you don't uh, just hear from the two of us. You also hear from the people that made The Wire. Uh, and uh, you guys as well will also feature. Yes, definitely. Uh, if you do want to follow us, guys, we are at The Wire Strip on Twitter and Instagram. But uh, why don't we go straight into our chat about Season 4, Episode 2, Soft Eyes. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. Walk the straight and narrow track. When you walk with Jesus, He's gonna save your soul. Just gotta keep the devil way down in the hole. Right, here we are, Kobe. We are um, on the streets waiting for uh, waiting for bubbles to swing by in his trolley. Yeah, I need some white t-shirts. <laughs> like, white tees. Like crazy. The amount of white tees that people are going through in Baltimore. Yeah, what's going on there? There's a real, fl- there's a real <laughs> like, <laughs> real churn. <laughs> Must have get really sweaty, I guess. Well, yeah. I- something special about a white t-shirt you can chuck it on any time you can use them for cleaning your surfaces maybe that's what they do they wear it once clean the surfaces <laughs> yeah, that's away. gotta be it not very buy another one from Bubbles' depot yeah, exactly you know, Bubbles is gonna day. come around once a day re-up on your, on your white tees <laughs> re-up <laughs> what? well why don't we why don't we kick off there why don't we because we meet we meet Bubbles in this episode always a pleasure so good to see him yeah and uh, he's got uh, he's got a new intern as he describes him yeah Sherrod uh, a new sort of uh, Johnny Weeks, but quite a different uh, sort of character. Yeah, he's he's al- already one. This is, I sense Bob just says, I need to get my arm around this kid, or otherwise he's just going to go wayward. Um, whereas Johnny Weeks is someone he could perform hijinks with and get high with. Um, I don't know if Cheryl gets high. I, I can't remember if that happens, but... He this, does. He does. Yeah, yeah. But this well, is they a, seem to really imply it. But this is certainly a, I'm going to take care of this kid, because I'm going to be an uncle to this kid. I'm going to be father to yeah. this kid. Well, almost literally, he pretends to be his uncle yeah, at the does, end of yeah. the day. Yeah, he, um, yeah, he is. You're right. He's like he is a protege to uh, Bubbles, but in a different way to John, than Johnny Weeks. Because yeah. as you said, like Johnny Weeks was a protege to the, to the hijinks almost. <laughs> but like Bubbles has gone quite legit yeah. now, isn't he? He's right? trying to stay on that kind of straight and narrow tack. Yeah, there's no more fishing lines and uh, wily coyote <laughs> shaking ladders. With <laughs> right, he's legit. He's got and his trolley has expanded. You know, his trolley's it's two, got his two, two trolleys, trolleys now stuck together. Yeah, beautiful. And I love, I love the. Uh, I mean, Andrew Rior is just sublime. But like the way he like describes to Sherrod that like we should be out, we should be splitting up. You know, he's like he can see his empire is expanding, <laughs> but Sherrod's not quite up to the task, is he? No, yeah. it, his mental arithmetic isn't that good. And to be fair, Sherrod's what, 14, 15? I hate doing like mental arithmetic. I'm quite good at maths, 
but you know I always had a calculator so um I, I was always shit at that kind of stuff and working in the shop or working out working behind a bar and working out what how much people owed me I was like uh, put it in the till mate <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do um, but also there's also you know there's not that spark about Sherrod as well yeah generally and it does it gives Sherrod a, quite a tricky mental arithmetic test like later on I thought yeah he throws in like yeah, what, yeah. 6 by 4 plus 9 by 8 or something like, like that's, like a, bit, that, that's yeah. a bit dark mate just, <laughs> <laughs> just go straight to the hardcore yeah, exactly. uh, algebra man can you uh, in- integrate that and differentiate uh, like, no <laughs> anyway Math terms, guys. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a bit harsh on Sherrod, but also I think, you know, he wants something from Sherrod which maybe doesn't have there. It, there, there's a, there is a sort of a fatherly vibe from him, mm. for sure. He wants Sherrod to, to succeed. And, and it is one of the sweetest moments when they show up at school to register yeah. and he <laughs> pretends to be his uncle. I mean, again, my heart was aching there. <laughs> He couldn't even remember what grade he was when he when he left high school. No, he knew it had been a few years. Ago. But I mean, that's again, that's cutting a tragic yeah. cloth there, isn't it? Again, it. so much tragedy this season. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I love the double take, though, when he goes past uh, Prez. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's a nice touch. <laughs> it's like, what, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> this episode is really good at like tying all the plots together mm. and like. It always takes a couple of episodes to like build people in. Doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, to each season. But, yeah, of course, that's what we love about it. There's so much. Like, all these, they all feel like disparate plots, but they all start to influence each other in this mm. episode. With Valchek at the heart of it, once again. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to... All right, let's lead into the Valchek bit. Uh, and it starts with a cold open. Herc is there. We talked about last last episode, Herc. Oh, yeah. Not... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Herc not getting quite on with his, uh, with his, with his partner in crime. Um, so he goes, well, fuck it, I'm going to find the mayor because we need to get to such and such a place because it's presidential stuff, electoral stuff happening. And he finds the mayor getting a blowjob off off a lady who was actually in the preceding episode. I noticed yeah. this time. And gives uh, gives him a little bit of a look in, yeah. in episode one. Yeah, like, absolutely. A little bit of a... I'll give you a blowjob later look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that old, that old chestnut. <laughs> so that first call that I missed, it was... Weeks and weeks apart that my, when my mother came to visit to say the HBO people call. This is the absolutely lovely Sandy McCree, totally unlike her on-screen persona, Delanda Bryce. Had my mother got the message to me in the, in, in, you know, on time, and I went in for the audition, which I'm sure I would have gotten, it was the, for not for Delanda. It was for the mayor's secretary. So I missed it. Thank you, Lord. Because I'm sure I would have gotten out. So this is, yeah, this is awkward. Mm. <laughs> it's an awkward moment. It is. You know, that awkward moment <laughs> when you walk in on your boss. <laughs> and uh, her does what we would probably all do and hurriedly closes the door and walks away. But, yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, we talked about in the previous episode about there being laughs, and this is this is played for laughs. Um but Herc's not laughing later. He's really worried about his really job. Really shits himself. So he goes to Carve to get some advice. Carve says, this is above my pay grade. <laughs> Calls in Valchek. And Valchek, it's, great. it's so good to see Valchek again. He's such a character. Well, before we go straight to Valchek, it's, yeah. good, it's so good to see Herc and Carve together. Oh, right, yeah. And, and just in the car. They're about to... They see they see uh, Donut. This is an, an, an ancillary part. Donut's still stolen the car. And Herc and Carve spot it. And they're about to do their kind of hijinks chasing after the kids 
Um, but just that scene in the car with those two together, bouncing off each other, was, was delightful. And actually, we forgot to say in the in the last episode, we get it. We get a nice um, over these few episodes with Carver. We get a nice idea of how he's progressed as a police officer, yeah. and the fact that he has learned so much from Bunny last yes, season, where absolutely. Bunny's like, you know, this isn't that's not policing what you're doing. It's you got to learn their names, and now oh, it's so it's like so rewarding <laughs> when you see Carver taken on board. Yeah, knows all their names, and and like, and when you see Kirk and Carver back together, and they're doing the same thing they were doing in season three, they're busting in and they're about to go on their chase, like, and you know. Herc's about to flick on the shaft music and it <laughs> feels like last season but, but Carver's like hang on a second I know all these kids I know where they hang out I'll just go get them later and yeah. it's just like that's a brilliant moment for me and, totally. that, and the scene later we're kind of jumping around a bit now but the scene when he he goes to them and confronts them he does he Carver's now do, doing good policing where he's like firm and authoritative but also a bit sort of friendly and bantery right yeah when he calls that name and the name is like fuck yeah yeah that's right i know where you live i do think that 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 is one of the messages that there are some officers that are highlighted in the series that seem to get it you know including carver who looks to colvin you know as a mentor daniels as a mentor this is the voice of Kristen henning she's the director of the georgetown juvenile justice initiative and she also wrote the book Rage of Innocence, How America Criminalizes Black Youth. You know, he starts off, I mean, Carver's sort of the classic evolution, right? Um, uh, At least in this series, where he starts off, partnered with Herc, and uh, really had this sort of simple-minded, brutish policing strategy around um, policing drugs in the neighborhood, and these low-level offenses, harassing the kids, using physical violence where, where necessary. Um, in their view, right? But, you know, over time, he begins to learn from folks like, you know, Colvin, who says to him, like, look, you know, have you cultivated any relationships in the community, right? Do you have any folks who are going to give you information about crime in the community? Who are who are your go-tos? I think that was one of his changing moments. I think also just officers who really get proximate, if you will, who really get to know people in the community. So I think the turning back to Randy, Carver and Randy's relationship was ultimately a real turning point for him. Also, Carver and Bodie's relationship over time becomes a really important moment. This is what I call, you know, sort of getting proximate with the young people in the community. You see them for who they are and see them for their potential. Bottom line is community policing. This, frankly, sensational voice is the one and only Chad Coleman, who, of course, played Cutty. And, and, and allow those who are from that area to school others, even if others have a higher rank. Allow them to school you and help show you the most effective way to go after uh, or approach these young men. But it's community policing. You've got to gain their trust. And if you gain their trust and you're consistent, you'll be doing something that many of their fathers are not. And you're going to, it's going to pay off. Carver delivers Herc to Valchek. Yeah, and Valchek, Valchek <laughs> treats the news very differently than Herc. <laughs> he sees it as a, what it is, of an opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Right, and he says that careers have been launched on a hell of a lot less than this. <laughs> Absolutely. Spider your time. He's 
no matter what you're thinking about breaking yourself, he's shitting himself, you know, an order of 10 more. So yeah. just bide your time, he'll come to you, all friendly like, offer your position. Yeah. And let's see how that plays let's out. Let's see how that plays episode. out. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, Valtek was happy as a pig in shit. By the way, mate, when you make it, just remember you owe me a favour, and that's all he wants. That's what that's Valtek says. It's such a good line because that, 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 that's. That sh- little bit shows you that's what Valchek's whole career has been built on, right? Mm. All these little favors. I, I read it on the page and I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be fun to catch him catching a blowjob. Um, this is the man that brought Herc to life. This is Dominic Lombardozzi. The thing with the show was you open up the script, you scan through the script, you want to see if, if you make it to the very end of the script. You want to look at all your stuff. You want to make sure you know, there's no bullet holes. Don't get shot. You're in an ambulance. You're laying on the floor. You're like, okay, I made it through another episode. And and then you go forward. I I didn't read much into any of that stuff. I, I just, whatever was on that page, I tried to give David and and, and company the best I, I could what was on the page I, I at some point i stopped it i had to leave it there well speaking speaking of favors and valcheck um we get that with the the politics plot in this yeah. episode don't we so we we uh this is where the plots kind of overlap so we well, why don't we do a little bit on the homicide so we get um so a state's witness is murdered yeah um the, the homicide team pick it up landsman Leaks it to Valchek, and then Valchek leaks it to Carcetti. Yeah, and then Carcetti does he does he leak it or like s- swing into his office dancing? <laughs> yeah, dancing a maypole. <laughs> right? <laughs> Is that a leak? Such a <laughs> such an enter such a horrible man, but such a wonderful character to watch. So just yes, that's a nice way to put it. But uh, and then Carcetti drops it on Royce live on t- live on TV. Yeah. In in the debate. What is pretty a pretty awesome moment, and I think what I really like about how they shot this is you see, they they show you the reaction in Carcetti's office and they show you the reaction in in Royce's camp, mm. and it's <laughs> it's a stark contrast. <laughs> nice and day, yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Nobody in Royce's everyone in Royce's camp has got their hands in their heads, basically like, oh no. A year ago, I wrote the mayor a letter. I have copies for anyone who wants one. I begged him to spend the money and make witness protection a priority. He ignored me. I even teamed up with our legislative leaders, Delegate Watkins and others, to get matching funds for witness protection approved in Annapolis. And incredibly, those matching funds were never claimed by this administration. Now, to mention this now may be exploitive. I don't know. I only know it's true. And on such truths... I asked the voters of our city to consider a change. I like that kind of Valchek is is at the is at the genesis of the season again, just like season two when it, with his stained glass window, which kicked off, basically led to the death of Frank Sabatka. Here we are <laughs> with I'm laughing. Valchek, Valchek coming in swinging around the maypole as he said, and he's set this series of events. <laughs> Uh, in order, which is is suddenly put Carcetti back on the map. Valtek is a catalyst, is what you're saying. A catalyst yeah. for mayhem. He is. That's he's right. An agent. He's an agent of chaos. <laughs> he is. So we 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 find out who Naaman's dad is. Yeah, Weebay. 
Yeah. And you can see, obviously, Wee Bay's shadow is huge and looms large over the whole of Baltimore, on the western side at least. Um, Naaman's, you, you take one look at Naaman and think, he's not got Wee Bay's front at all. Obviously, Naaman's, what, 14 here? But if you look at someone like Michael, and if you, if, if you said Michael was Wee Bay's son, you'd be like, okay, I can get that. I can yeah. see that. But Wee Bay is not. My, Michael's got the street smarts. Yeah. Yeah. Naaman, Naaman's got not got much about him, does no. he? Like, because Weebay is smart. Yeah. Like, and you can tell, like, what I really like about this scene is, like, the the dynamic of this, like, it's a really familiar dynamic of the parents telling the kid, you know, chastising the kid. Yeah, cut your hair. Cut your, yeah, cut your <laughs> hair. Come on, straighten up. You're not working hard enough. Mm. But it's all, it's, they're, they're like, <laughs> it's when you take a step back, you're like, this is a, like a man serving multiple life sentences mm. for, for murder. That was his job. And this is the mother saying, hey, our son's not doing good enough at his drug dealing job. Yeah. And this is just like, <laughs> and this is par for the court. But, it, but it's, the same, it's the same situation that any parent would face. It's just a job to them. So um, yeah, we spoke to Delonda Bryce, um, a.k.a. Uh, Sandy McCree, about this. And she's one of the most hissable characters in TV. <laughs> Rightly so, but Sandy loves it at the same time. Yeah, because she's she, excellent. She plays it so perfectly. Yeah, and it is. If it, if this was a pantomime, as soon as she comes onto stage, people would be. Um, because you're right. She, she's her, behind you, name. Yeah, her family. Their family business, based on what Weebo was doing, was murder and drug dealing, and all the bad things. Yeah, and she's trying to get her son to follow that path, which is. If he follows that path, he's going to be at best in jail. Yeah. At worst, dead before his time. But that's just you know, it's just that's just a job to her. That's yeah. the life. It's the life that she's accustomed to. Accustomed to. Yeah. She really reminds me of D'Angelo's mother. Yeah. Um, very similar vibe. This this sort of just like institutionalized sort of family member in the trade and. But I think D'Angelo's mother has a bit more about her. I think she knows how it works a bit more. Yeah. Where I think um Naaman's mum is just like off you off you pop. <laughs> she <laughs> get those drugs in. But she's still she's still trying to shape her son into, you know, the man. She's trying to still make a success of him. Yes. And yes. she's still look like she's still in her own way and I agree she's very hissable, but she is still trying to be a good mother mm. in a way and like, and she like but she's also spoiling him like a mother would, you know, at the end of the episode you know she's she's telling him i'm not giving you money for school clothes because you need to go work yeah work she's still a work ethic in him absolutely that's fair that's absolutely fair but then ultimately like 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 a lot of parents would and you know just wants to spoil him and get some nice things and get him all the clothes and when you get a glimpse into name and her life at the end of this episode it's like it's a really nice apartment and especially when you contrast it to like what we see of dookie's oh, yeah. life uh, it's like these boys are going to the same school in the same class. They're in the same network of friends, but their lives are totally different. Yeah, right. Massive contrast. Absolutely. 
Naaman's playing Halo 2. And you know he's playing Halo 2 because they emblazoned the logo of that video game all over the yeah, front of it. <laughs> no point I've ever seen. I've, I've never played a game and seen, like, never played Sonic the Hedgehog and had Sonic the Hedgehog the as name. a watermark. <laughs> right? <laughs> across I the love, bottom of it. I, just, I was obsessed with that because clearly someone, some savvy uh, mar brand marketer at Microsoft uh, <laughs> was like, uh, sorry, you got to have a, the, the name of the game on there at all times. They get, they cut a long deal with them, Microsoft, because Halo was in the f previous season. Yeah, I wasn't well. Minota playing Halo last season. Yeah. yeah. They had a clean house. He had anything he wanted. I remember that first episode, which was one of my audition episodes, the fish episode and the clothes. When he when I told him he wasn't going to get anything and he comes down stairs, you know, with all those jerseys and stuff. Some people equate nurturing, educating, empowering with by buying and giving, you know, like it's a symbol of freedom. And it's not. I think it's knowledge. It's education. It's the self-esteem and the power of your presence and the love of yourself um, that's worth more than anything material. That's what I think. So in her eyes, um, her love was like money and to you know just support by giving by buying i had no idea what it meant to be weaving son they okay they, but they were all very like oh this is a big deal like you're gonna be weaving son this is of course the one and only name and played brilliantly by julito mccullum and i was like okay cool and then i watched that first season i was like I'm going to be this killer maniac son. <laughs> What's going on here? Um, but it was cool, man. It was cool. I think it, it. everybody, I even in my brain, man, expected that this character was going to turn into like a Weebay-ish kind of character just automatically because of how menacing this guy was. And I just love the fact that they made Naaman completely different from his dad. And I think that's something that we don't talk enough about in our in the in these communities, man. That these you're not you're not you're not always cut from the same cloth. And I think it's okay, especially I think sometimes we miss the point that these kids were like fourteen. You know what I mean? It's uh, we be yeah, this thirty year old, however old uh, man is. Yeah, he's lived the life to become a Weebay. I think we missed the part that. These kids were kids, man, and you're not always born into being a murderer or born into being this broken guy. Sometimes it's created in you. And I love the fact that you saw that his that his son wasn't, it just wasn't him. And I love that it was very different. Right. As you all know, we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the wire stripped. But we now have another way you can help us out and the Ella Thompson Fund. Yeah, so if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe to us um, to get a lot of the same benefits as a Patreon account, but it makes it easier if you want to help contribute to the lovely people at Ella Thompson Fund, who, just to remind you, I'm sure we've said a few times this episode already, but they help support underprivileged kids in Baltimore in the way that Cutie did in The Wire. Uh, yeah, so you can get access to our episodes early. You can get access to our full uh, interviews uh, with the cast and crew, uh, including our extended interview with uh, David Simon. No adverts on there as well. And also, Basking in the Glory, they help you out a lot of lovely people in Baltimore and the kids there. 
It's simple. If you're on Apple Podcasts, scroll up the feed now and there's a button for you to click on and it costs less than the price of a coffee every month to support lots of lovely people. So in when we're playing, when we're hanging out with the boys, um, you talked about Officer Walker approaching approaching Randy. What happens before this is Marlowe and his gang come up to the stoop, come up to where the boys are hanging out, give them $200 each to get their school clothes uh, for no, no, just get get, you, get yourself some nice clothes, go boys. School's coming back, you make sure you look right. And Michael goes, nah, I'm not having that. I don't want to owe anyone anything. And this intrigues Chris Partlow and and um, and and Marlow, which is which is definitely interesting. But of course, the other guys are snatching away at the money. And I, also, I was I was, kind of, I was really gutted that Dookie wasn't there because he needs the money more than anyone else. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, get, where's Dookie? Get Dookie some new clothes, man. <laughs> but the teacher, the deputy head, gave Dookie some clothes via uh, via messenger, which is it's like, a sweet scene. It is, but also quite disturbing. Yeah, but yeah, the kids getting the money's really good. Wow, that's a good scene because. Mm. That tells you so much about Marlowe because the, what a smart move that is from gets his the, point gets of view. Gets the kids on side, yeah. Gets the kids on side from that young an age. They mm. make sure they know where that money's coming from and who his name is. But also, you see that Marlowe has an eye for talent, right? Because he spots Michael's got something about him, right? Yeah. That's actually more interesting to him. That he uh, that and, and then that he goes over to kind of confront him nominally but he's he's kind of probing him to test him and Michael passes the test by defying him and he yeah. stares doesn't say a word and just stares him down which is a hard thing to do looking into those shark eyes like we've talked about <laughs> Marlowe's shark eyes so Marlo suddenly he's on Marlowe's radar like as as you know potential you can see the hunger in Marlowe's eyes here right absolutely different different class of uh, different class of kid on the stoop Right, yeah, exactly, because mm. it tells you so much about Michael. Michael's got, Michael's got. We see Michael. Wow, we learned so much about Michael in this episode because we know that he's willing to work in, in the drug trade. Mm-hmm. So he picks up some work. He picks up Naaman's job yeah. with Bodie on the corner, and he's good at it, right? Because yeah. we see this. You know, the 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 customers try to swindle him, get more pills, and yeah, he's like, true. absolutely no way. Bodie also see like Marlowe sees the potential. In Michael, and he's and he's like, please work for me. Don't go to school, man. I will give you money. And he tries. What are you going to go to school for? <laughs> Lots of reasons. I don't know, buddy. <laughs> um, but he won't do it. So he won't. He, like he's kind of. Michael's a real mystery to us so far, and he's like, but he's really intriguing in that he's got, he's wise. He's got a work ethic. He's not afraid to, you know, be part of this world, but also won't, you know, as he says, I don't want to own anybody anything. Right? He's really staunchly independent. Yeah. Compared to name and we see we when we hear all the boys talking about the money, they all hungrily take it and Naaman asks Michael why why he won't take the money and he says, I don't want to owe anybody anything. And Naaman drops the line, which we hear later from Clay Davis as yeah, well. Yeah. I take any motherfucker's money, giving it away. <laughs> <laughs> which, again, tells you, tells you about Naaman that he's he he could be the next Clay Davis in some ways, <laughs> right? Or, you know, it it doesn't matter. It's not about. It's not about your privilege or where you grew up or what job you have. You either it, you either 
have an ethics you have ethics or you don't and clay davis is in a position of power and does not no. right and michael has is in many ways a much better man than clay davis already yeah, yeah. from a young age yeah we're see we're sort of seeing marlo stansfield kind of emerge and 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 consolidate his power in the neighborhood this is Eric Deggins. He's the NPR TV critic. A, a more ruthless young gangster who is has a different way of going about things. The cops think he hasn't killed anybody because he has two assassins who work for him who, uh, who kill people and then um, put them in boarded up houses so they're never discovered by the police, um, which I thought was kind of ingenious. Um, and uh, and those, two, those two assassins... Um, it, it's, it's such an odd, it's such an odd, uh, connection, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they were uh, inspired a little bit by the twin assassins from the James Bond movie, Diamonds Are Forever. That's what they're, that's what they were, that's what they reminded me of. Um, and, uh, and then they have a very unique, you know, kind of chemistry and, and, uh, and it's just really interesting to what Marlowe and those two assassins are to me are, are three of the most compelling sort of later characters that came to the wire you know uh to to you know outside of the 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 first season just one more thing on with the boys want to pick up uh or a couple more things we see dookie's people um very very briefly and again this is this is the heartbreak of, of dookie the guy that answers the door is clearly not in, in a in a good state we don't know what relation he is to to dookie but that's the house he lives in um, and the head teacher, sorry, the deputy head to that, that girl whose name I don't know, uh, just said, make sure you give the clothes directly to Dookie, don't yeah. give it to him. So these are, these are kids' clothes. They can't be worth much money. But already they know, give it to Dookie directly because otherwise they're going to sell it for drugs, I guess. Or? That Yeah, I mean, it's all implied, but that line tells you all you need to yeah. know about his, his home life. The fact that they describe him as kind of the other kids kind of tease him for being smelly mm. and it's like oh, it's so heartbreaking Uki was a young man in the inner city of baltimore maryland who unfortunately had parents that weren't fit to raise him you're listening to dookie himself played by actor jermaine crawford um his parents were addicted to drugs i'm not exactly sure what drug crack his heroin what it was but um he his parents were addicted to drugs really bad and um it was left for the streets to raise him. And fortunately, he had a friend um, who saw him as a brother and um, kind of stepped in to kind of help just get him on the right track for as long as he could before his own life took a, took a turn. And um, I just remember talking to Ed Burns once or twice about it. And, you know, as we filmed in the classrooms with, uh, you know, children, of course, um, all of them were not necessarily actors. A lot of them were children in Baltimore, children that were locally, you know, that they found just to kind of give them an opportunity and expose them to something else. And I remember Ed Bird specifically saying to me once in one of those like weird Presbo nuance scenes in the classroom, he was just like, you know, Jermaine, like there's a lot of real life dookies in that classroom right now. And I was just like, whoa, because I would sit in the hair and makeup trailer longer than everyone else other than Julito who had to get his ponytail late right <laughs> but I would be in the chair longer than everyone else getting crud in my mouth crud in my eyes dirt in my hair all these things to kind of really take me there and I remember how that was starting to make me feel 
throughout the filming process because it was starting to have a toll on me. I'm like, dang, I really feel like this character all the time. And I remember Ed Burns, when he, when he told me that, it, it kind of took me out of myself and allowed me to kind of, I guess, tell Blair's story. Um, not really, but um, make it about them and not so much about me. Um, the other thing is their friend Donut, the four boys' friend Donut, he must have one of the best gigs on the wire because he's... You just steal the SUV, mate, drive it around. You must, <laughs> yeah. must have an absolute laugh filming the show. When you look at Donut, he, like, especially like the first episode, he didn't, he wasn't stealing any car. You know, he wasn't, like, he was just really supposed to be, like, one of the kids, like, chilling in, like, the background. This is the voice of Nathan Corbett, who played Donut. When I got on set, they said that they didn't want to limit, limit me and my potential and and my charm to just really like a thumb sucking kid you know who just sat in the background because that's what donut really was supposed to be just sitting in the background sucking on the thumb they 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 loved me when i got on set thank god you know and um, i'm thankful for that and i'm humbled by that and they allowed donut to grow you know to be able to be one of the few comic relief in such a real drama right that has so many layers right I just was so thankful to be able to bring such a rare perspective or such a rare aspect of, of the show. Well, I did. Apparently, David Simon said that the when they got at the beginning of the season, when they got all this, this influx of all these kid actors, mm. apparently it was like a bit of a, a bit unruly, a bit like a bit like Prez learns with all these kids <laughs> flying around. Like it was a bit hard to contain them all. But he described that by the. You know, towards the end, they became they all became really like professional seasoned actors. Nice in many ways, but like hats off to Alexa Fogel and the casting team. My God, yeah, I think it's Pat Moran here, and also um, Robert Chu did a lot of work with the kids. Right. The older I get, the more he had a special place in my heart because I was just so stuck in what I was doing, filming, and I was so used to him just being there, and then we lost him. And I'm still kind of going forth in my life. And it's interesting you asked me that question kind of around, you know, the same time of the passing of Chadwick Boseman. We're all on a journey. We all have an assignment, right? And I don't think Robert Chu, well, maybe he does from up there. Maybe he does for sure. But I don't think they'll ever know the impact that he had on possibly the world. You know, if you consider Michael B. Jordan, myself, Tristan, Julito, and then there was a group of all these actors in Baltimore, young actors, the Baltimore players, that he would every year do a show, they would do a play, and he would work them like New York City meets Baltimore, like he was giving them industry top tier training and molding and guidance. So even with me, and the Dookie performance, I would not have gotten the role if it wasn't for him. I would have not have executed the role if it was not for him. So I owe so much, you know, to the light that he shared with us. And um, just the, old, the older I get, the more I realize just about impact, the importance of impact. And he had such a great impact, man. He was, he, he was like an angel on earth. He Nothing but positivity, nothing but laughter, nothing but uh, great vibes. And um, he was a phenomenal acting coach. As you can see, we we killed it. And he guided us through that. He guided us through our performances. We went through a, a very intense casting process. This is the voice of Alexa Fogel, the casting director for The Wire. 
New York, Chicago, Baltimore. We looked all over the place. And um, once we had sort of narrowed it down, uh, yes, Robert Chu worked with the kids, I think, a little bit around the time of their final audition. We took them all down to Baltimore um, to audition. I mean, they auditioned multiple times, but there was a time when we had to do it there because they were shooting the show. So Maestro had been, Harrell, who played Randy, had been sort of a song and dance guy in Chicago. Julito was from New York. Jermaine was from Baltimore. And um, Tristan was also in New York. When you're directing them, you have to find a way to communicate that doesn't use the, exactly the same kind of refined actor language that you would use with an adult. Just have to to make sure it's really clear and simplify it. And depending on the age of a child, you may have to sort of trick them into it sometimes. But these kids, it was also about the chemistry between the kids. And um, it worked out really well. But, but yeah, you have to, it's a combination of seeing what's naturally there and pulling it out of them because they can't always articulate how to do it. So sometimes it's about their instincts and putting them in a position where they can say the lines and, and let their natural instincts take over. Alexa is for sure a legend, man. Her eye for talent and for actors is just by far top notch. And Pat Moran, she did a lot of work, man. Those kids, like, Alexa, of course, as you know, would cast like the big guys, right? And then Pat was the one who would just fill in the world. And Pat is like an unspoken hero on The Wire, man, because she she just filled out the world. She knew Baltimore. She knew all the talent there. She knew the, the kids, especially our season, man. Most of those kids in that classroom were from, you know, Pat Moran's eye, man. And it was, it filled out the world like beautifully. I know we talked about it before, but that two hundred dollars that Marlo gave to the kids, we see Officer Walker um, apprehend Randy and take the money off him. And I don't know if you remember me saying like season two, one of my most hated characters at the time was was Ziggy when I first watched The Wire. But it's not. It was, it, at the end, it wasn't. <laughs> you can't hate Ziggy. Yeah. Really, Officer Walker is definitely one of the most hateable people <laughs> He'll, he he will unfold in the next few episodes but he is definitely one of the worst people in the wire yeah. and um yeah look out for him guys he's, he's not he's not a nice person what's your name bro man i ain't doing nothing. i want to hear that shit what's your goddamn name randy randy what wagstaff well i know you ain't lying would nobody make that shit up put your hands against this fucking wall come on what do you know about hoppers bailing from a stolen car nothing Little motherfucker, you slinging. No, sir, swear to God. Hell, you ain't. How else you walking around with 200 in your pocket? My foster mother gave me that to buy school clothes with. Your foster mother gave you 200 cash? Yeah. Tell her to come down to the Western, and I'll give it back to her. I think that's a, it's a beautiful and complex question, because I try very hard as someone who trained both police officers and, um, and, and other folks, defenders and the like, try to be very nuanced in my answer. I think that there are... Eddie Walkers um, in police departments all over America, all right? Um, but I also think that there are Carvers, right, all over 
America in police departments. And so um, what I think, though, is that there is um, so much damage that is done by the Eddie Walkers, right, who um, operate unrestrained within police institutions, right? So that as a as a matter of national concern, there isn't enough accountability. There isn't enough see something, say something um, that interrupts that sort of police brutality that you see with with Walker, um, the corruption, the stealing money and the, the beating um, uh, uh, of children. And that we're all uh, complicit and even the carvers and the good officers are complicit when we don't hold the walkers accountable. Everybody knew what Walker was doing, right? What are we doing to stop that? What are we doing to stop Herc, you know, and some of his, you know, his brutal behavior? Um, and so I think um, the better answer is yes, Black children experience it all across the country um, to different degrees, but certainly in certain heavily surveilled neighborhoods. Um, and that there isn't enough accountability for those officers, whether they're rogue officers or whether they operate in large numbers. It almost doesn't matter. <laughs> um, the The impact on children is is the same. I lived in Baltimore. I'm vested in the city. I still live there. I, I live in I live in Baltimore. I'm you know I sent my kids to school there. This is of course the man himself, David Simon, the creator of the Wire. I, I was astounded that there were viewers who watched five seasons of that show or maybe didn't watch maybe they watched a little of it and that was the problem but they came to the conclusion that the show was speaking about only baltimore and that baltimore was this disastrous place that um like why did everybody just move why do you why does everybody leave why would ever why did, why would anyone try to endure here and not only did we not feel that way but our argument was about the ne the necessity of the city of everybody of, of cities being the future of of humanity you know we, our premise I shouldn't even say our argument you know we're all going to live in cities or metropolitan areas eighty percent of us do now globally and that's only that number is only going to go up and we're only going to be more compacted we're only going to be more pluralistic you know the the the, the smells from the apartment down the hall are going to be food that is not your culture it's somebody else the the prayers from the, the, the corner of mosque or synagogue or church or whatever are, 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 are going to be um, not your prayers. We're all going to either learn to live together in increasingly compacted urban areas or, or humanity is going to fail. So the idea that the city, that, the, 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 that we were critiquing the city to the point of saying everyone can just get up and walk away seemed to be the most infantile response. But there was a lot of that kind of writing in the wake of, man, Baltimore screwed up. <laughs> they all moved to Philadelphia, you know. Have you been to North Philadelphia? You know, I mean, it was it was a really um, myopic response to what we did. We picked Baltimore because we lived there. I've been a reporter there. Ed policed it. The other writers were, you know, that from there. We we spoke about the, the the specific, but we were speaking about the general, about the general condition of 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 at least the West in terms of you know learning to live with urbanity and its problems and I was really shocked by how infantile some of the some of the um, responses to I, I didn't see that one coming at all I was like really
Hi guys, it's Josh here in Glasgow. Season 4 of The Wire is one of the most powerful, poignant and gut-wrenching television series in history. What those four young child actors achieved is incredible. To watch the journey of those four young boys um, being innocent kids to throughout the season to becoming broken boys with their lives completely altered is, is just miraculous and it's a landmark of dramatic storytelling. Thank you uh, very much for leaving us a voicemail on our burner phone. If you want to do that as well, uh, you have to actually send it to the, the phone number. It's a burner phone, so you have to do do the number, and it goes like this. It goes, this is the jingle. Plus four four seven five three four eight three one six five eight. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> know. <laughs> you just don't ask me to do that again. Didn't you? That's it. Um, or if you don't like sending. Text messages. Um, tell them. Tell them how else they can send their voice. Yeah, use use the more traditional email format. Uh, burner at thewirestrip.com and send it there. Just like a thirty second snippet. This week we want to know where does season four rank for you and why. Just a little thirty second snippet and leave your name in there as well. So everyone hears who it's from. Yeah, and if you want to be bumped to the top of the burner queue, then head to Patreon dot com forward slash the wire strip and join our patreon for exclusive interviews all like full length interviews of all the stuff you've been hearing here ex- uh, extra burner access and yep. loads more and merch as well there's, there's, there's the wire strip merch which we don't have yeah we, we where do we get our merch Kobe can I have some merch no you can't because <laughs> you need to be a patron <laughs> all right um, and most importantly, all of the money goes to the Ella Thompson Fund uh, in Baltimore, which um, builds facilities for uh, underprivileged um, children in the neighborhoods that need it most. All right, let's check in with the Major Crimes Unit, yeah. where they've got a Lester Freeman's master plan has started to, to unfold. So we get this great scene at the beginning of uh, this episode with um, the, the team and Rhonda, where Rhonda is not happy because <laughs> <No. laughs> she kind of lays out the, the 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 problem with Lester's plan of serving all these subpoenas and she's deliberately holding back two of them one of them including Clay Davis which she wants to do until after the primary which basically to protect her own career yeah. understandably enough but it shows you how intangibly linked all the, the politicians is, yeah. are with her job with like nobody but like you, you only having this like chaotic Lester Freeman move underneath and and, and we also desert, de- find out that he's deliberately doing it at this time he's been biding he's, his time he's been holding us for a year yeah. brilliant it's genius yes absolutely. it's the only time that the politicians can't do anything about it or shrug it under the carpet um, and I like that Lester you know says to Greggs and uh, Kima and, and Sidner that like I'm happy to Lester knows this is this could be the end of him. Yeah. As, as a, is, he's done his, you know, he's done his time. He says, I'll go hand the subpoenas. But, like, I love that Kima and Sidner are like, nah, man, we're, we got your back. Yeah. And these, these subpoena handing out scenes are brilliant. But um, Also, if this, I was offered the chance to hand Clay Davis a oh, subpoena, I'd probably do it too. Well, let's, let's touch on that in a second. But the the piece where... Because Freeman's, Freeman's also staring down Rhonda Perlman, who's also on... They're both on the same side. And... He's just like, I'm, I'm just a policeman. I don't I don't know anything about this. <laughs> <laughs> they cut to Rhonda talking to Daniels about this interaction. I and, love this scene. And Daniels yeah. just knows 
knows how keep knows Freeman knows how he's played the game. He's seen the chess move like hundred <laughs> steps ahead. Yeah, this is how good Lester Freeman is at, is at playing this game. And and Daniels is just so happy that yeah. it's happening to someone else. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, because he's he's been his lieutenant for too long. Yeah, he just he just knows yeah. he knows the plays, he knows the moves, and he loves Freeman to bits. But also he's like he's like exasperated by this guy. So he's super happy that it's even if it's his girlfriend, he loves that this it's is happening so to someone else. Wonderful, yeah. and I love how uh, Lance Reddick is so like good at the comedy in this scene. Did he do the thing with the glasses? <laughs> And he looks at you like, I'm the dad you never had. <laughs> and it's just like, it's lovely. What I also like about that is like, you get a really like, you get a sense of, a, a very easy sense of like Rhonda and Daniels as a couple. Yeah. And like, they really feel really like yeah, established really gelling, as yeah. a couple. Yeah, it's like, I'm shipping them, man. Um, so the subpoenas. Kima gives it to the construction guy who's doing over Stringer Bell. That's kind of running yeah, the mill. Justice! But the, Justice uh, for Bell. <laughs> <laughs> but Sidney's one to Clay Davis. I'm going to let you lead this because this this still for me. If when I think about the scene, even like 18 years ago when I first watched it, this oh. still fucking makes me crack up. Drop the clip in yeah. <laughs> right now. We got to do it. Everyone needs this audio. And it's the Sphinx Club. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is this? Subpoena for records. Sphinx Club. Man of the year. What kind of bullshit is this? You people must be out your damn mind. You were in the Sphinx Club. My uncle used to tin bar over there. Marvin Thompson, short guy. What is your name, around. officer? Detective Sidner, sir. Major crimes. Shit. Sidner, Sidner never, never got to be a big player in this show yeah. but like he definitely has his moments and this is this, this is, is definitely like, one he's of enjoying this absolutely so much and Clayton <laughs> sorry Whitlock Jr. is so good in this <laughs> scene like the exasperation and he's he get, delivers one of the best she it's the best one I think it's gotta be um, and then he obviously just jumps in his car heads over to the mayor and he's like furious yeah out, and he says Shoots that line I'll take any motherfuckers any I can't say the line. Insert the line here. He says, I'll take any motherfucker's money if he's giving it away. And that line is, this is this is one of the pinnacle Clay Davis episodes of The Wire. Yeah. Definitely, definitely is. And I really, I really liked, I, I like Clay Davis at Royce here. He's like trying to justify, like he, he makes himself out to be a victim. I know. Right? <laughs> he's like, it's like, what? am I supposed to do you think I'm supposed to get all this money from like legitimate businesses on the corners like the corner shop guy's gonna give me all this money like I have to take illegitimate drug money I just have to man <laughs> like Clay Davis can't imagine any other way he just cannot fathom a world where he can be a legitimate politician like who's straight and narrow that's his world he can't imagine a world that isn't corrupt no well you know I mean playing the character I always so, uh, and I, I I can say this honestly, when I when I play a character, I always believe that that character is right. She, it's Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Clay Davis himself. I think that's the way it's gonna it's going it's gonna have to work. Uh, I'm not gonna get into a whole breakdown of of the character here, but you have to believe that. You've got to be able to justify everything that you're doing. So I always felt that what he was doing 
was right because I could justify it in my mind. I mean, I think that's probably what helped me uh, play the guy is that everything that I was doing was justified. Um, I It's like, you know, when I, when I have the rant uh, with the mayor, you know, and it's like, well, how else am I supposed to get the money? I mean, you know, you know, some Korean groceries. I mean, you know, if you wanted all of this money, uh, and I went out and I got it. So I did what I had to do. Um, and I think most guys like that think they're doing good, but they want to get paid, you know? And, uh, the other, the other thing is that, um, especially when you look at the world today, I'm no more of a crook than, than, you know, some of the major crooks, uh, uh, you know, you know, big business and things like that, um, where people, you know, steal lots of money, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, the stock market drops 10,000 points and you wonder where all the money went and, and derivatives and all of this. I mean, so, so, I mean, it's, I think I explain it in one of the last episodes that I do where I say, look, I'm small potatoes compared to the big picture and you've got to follow the money, but coming after me is easy. It's going after the big guys. That's what's going to be hard. So we meet, uh, we meet Cuddy. We meet Cuddy again, and yeah, and two scenes, two two good scenes here. He's still he's still mowing lawns with the with the span with the Spaniards. But now he speaks loads of Spanish. He speaks, which I really enjoy. He like, knows the swear. He's been watching Cheech and Chong, and he's <laughs> yeah. learned the swear words. Basically, that's what's happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love this. I love watching, like just like with Carver, um, his the character progression between seasons. Like mm. we see how far they've come between season three and four. Like because we watched Cuddy on the back of this same van last year, being this absolute fish out of water. Yeah. You know, and now he's just joking about. He's doing the work. It's like, oh God, Cuddy's the best. And and his chief, I, I can't remember what that guy's name is, but he's saying. This is another parallel. So we had the parallel saying, "I'll take any motherfucker's money if they're giving it away." Naaman and and uh, as I will uh, and Clay Davis. And this is what this is the same parallel here with uh, Bubbles saying to Gerard, "We could be dividing and conquering more if you knew how to take." Yeah, you're your right. Own. And this yeah. is what this is what the guy says to Cutty. You know, yeah. you could get your own crew. We could like we can spread out. It's entre- Yeah, it's this entrepreneurial yeah. sort of spirit. And you see the same in Randy. He's got it too. Yeah. Um, but this is, but yeah, and we see Cutty here. He's he's enjoying his life in the day, but he's also enjoying his life when we go to the boxing gym, and it's 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 buzzing. Yeah, it's so nice to see, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, he's really made a like that twelve like thousand dollars he got from illicit drugs means. Let's <laughs> not talk <laughs> about that. Off. <laughs> and he's still got he's got the poster of Avon up there, yeah, which I like. Which I thought was a nice touch. I think that must have been yeah. a condition of the of the money transfer. <laughs> the twelve grand, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I still love that, not to go back to season three, but that scene where he gets that money yeah. and Avon's just like, man, of course. <laughs> it's just like those pittance. And it's just like, I love that. And I love that he's done that little ode to, to Avon. Yeah, of course. Uh, on the wall. Um, and Cutty's there and he's getting hit on by all the... All the <laughs> love this. <laughs> all, the, all the mothers of the, uh, of the boxers. The Wire does know it's comedy. It does. So well. <laughs> he does try to fend them off a bit slipping off into the um into the great beyond and you know i hope it's a long time from now and you know i hope my um my family and friends are all gathered around my bed to say goodbye and it's been a great life 
I hope the last words in my ear telling me I can close my eyes and quit are going to be from Chad Colton. I hope they just usher him in the room and go, Chad, you're up. Yeah, send him out. Love playing Cuddy, and I love Calvin Ford, the real Cuddy, for what he was able to do in the community and um, give these kids a place. And I saw firsthand because I had to go to Upton Boxing Gym and and work with him every day. So I was actually there when uh, Javante Tank Davis was seven years old pounding away and I was like who is that little dude and Calvin said that's going to be my champion and cut two he is his champion right he's the people's champion so I saw it I saw him be afraid that he was going to lose them to the streets and um, I saw many of them who didn't come back so uh, it's very real that foundation is huge I loved it it was it was a good input once again, kudos, big kudos to the writers because there's so many kids with those dreams that really are talented but get caught up. You got the gym right here in the neighborhood where you step out as heroin, cocaine, guns. You're listening to Anwan Glover, who played Slim Charles. You either going to pick up some boxing gloves or you're going to pick up a pistol or you're going to pick up some cocaine. So it's a three-way street. They always say it's a one-way street. But you come out that one way, it's three ways to get in trouble. You can either go the right way, this way, or that way. You know? So it was it was it was beautiful. And then Chad, we had so much chemistry. That was another that we had so much chemistry on and we were he's he's actually funny as hell. He used to make me like when we they get ready to say Ashley, he'd be like, Man, bro, bro, bro. he'd just be making some funny and I'd be like, wait, wait, wait. He was so funny, Chad. And then I, I talk to Chad all the time as well. Chad is he and he's super smart too. He just like his character fitted right in. He was like, look, I ain't with that no more, man. I'm just gonna work with the kids at the boxing gym. And you cool with that man? We need some money. So we went and sat sat with Avon. He was like, That's all you need? Ten thousand? Go get him ten thousand. You know what I'm saying? So it was it wasn't nothing, but he was one of those guys, and we did. We went on to do other stuff. We uh, we uh, we did audition for tons of stuff together. We uh, did a few videos together. Um, he's just a super all around guy. Older, he you know he's more knowledgeable, and uh, you just learn. You can learn from him every day. We love Cutsy. Yeah, Cutsy back. And we start, and they start to cleverly overlay some of the plots here. So we see Michael and Naaman mm-hmm. at Cutty's gym. Yeah, Michael, and just like just like with. Marlo and Bodie, we see through Cuddy's eyes. Cuddy sees the potential in Michael as well. It's the last piece we'll head to. It's just a touch on the schools from the from the teacher side. Mm. Um, so we see Prez um, getting his class. Oh God, Prez! It's, well, first before the class, he's been inducted a bit by some of the other teachers. Oh yeah, and they tell him um, this is where the title of the episode comes from, right? Yeah, soft eyes. You need soft eyes. Yeah, and. Obviously, I think every teacher goes into this, maybe like politicians as well, thinking wide-eyed, I'm going to impart my knowledge onto these kids and they're going to accept it and become better people and therefore that's my contribution to the world. But their their conversations with them are all about keeping the room warm so they're drowsy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like... It's about control yeah. rather than... yeah. But they know the realities. They know the realities. I, it's, it's also interesting that they're all obsessed with like double spacing and consistency. Like nobody's talking about how best to approach these kids other than to keep them dozy like mm. you say it's like 
That's not on the agenda. Not on the, not at all. And like you say, he goes to his goes to his he goes to his room, and starts cleaning up. I love the I love the scene, and they and they throw a bit of Johnny Cash. I was going to say, there. was that the same music from the start of that uh, montage? For, oh for my God, you're, you're right. When yeah. he's putting the board up. Yeah, when he's putting stuff on the on the, on the chipboard. Uh, it, 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 is it the same? Oh, guy, we should know this. We're the Wire Podcast. The, we'll uh, <laughs> somebody tell us. Producer Tom coming, yo. Producer Tom coming. Producer Tom coming. Yeah, it's Johnny Cash. Ring of Fire, right? If it's not the same Johnny Cash track, it is a Johnny Cash track, I'm yeah. sure. Um, but the... Oh, you're so right. This is Prez. Prez likes his order and control. Yeah, he created the board, the, yeah. the cork board back in the day. Um, what I like about this is like, this is Prez coming, th- like this scene just gener- it just generates so much like optimism and this like he's 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 done a great job. He's cleaning, a bit like Cuddy at the gym last yeah, season. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's that sense of um, newness, the sense of like possibility that he's got. And I think what's interesting, that that's kind of what, a lot of this season is it's like the first the epigraph of the first episode was lambs to the slaughter Mm -hmm. and that's kind of that could apply to the boys and their lives and this neighborhood and what the roads that they might end up on it applies to prez coming in as you know he's a lamb to the slaughter he's no idea what he's going up against uh it applies to carchetti who's also new to this you know, running for mayor, he's also it's not going well. You get, you get, that's there's a sense of this season of like, what, how all these things start from the beginning, yeah. right? We're seeing the beginning of these the childhood, it's the beginning of somebody's teaching career. It's like and and the challenges that somebody new to any of these environments are going to face. Okay, guys, that was season four, episode two, Soft Eyes. Um, hope you enjoyed that. Lots of people. To fit in that episode, there's a lot of people we spoke to, and it's great and exciting. Our, our episodes are going to have to be longer than the Wire episodes at this rate because there's just too there's just too many good interviews to pack in. That's a big bugbear of yours, isn't it? If a podcast episode is longer than the TV show or film, that's that's a no-no, for <laughs> that, isn't it? That, normally, that's my rule of thumb that I've been trying to get everyone to stick to. But you know, <laughs> I might I might just have to throw that out the window this season because it's just too damn good. Um, and a big thank you to all, all those people that were that we were uh, we were lucky enough to speak to, and thanks to everyone for lending us your time. And uh, uh, and a big thank you to the people at Sonics who are providing the transcribing software. And if you want to use that, head to sonics.ai forward slash invite forward slash stripped. Yeah, cheers to at Black Snow Comics on Instagram. That's at Black Snow Comics. He made the really cool picture of. Uh, of the four boys of summer uh, which is our main podcast logo this year that's um he's also known as michael balistreri uh, and a uh, huge thank you as always to martin and sam from the song by song podcast um who made our um, amazing uh, theme music with yep, tom, tom waits help of course you're with <laughs> tom waits help um thanks loads to producer obi um who has really pulled this whole thing together thank you so much Thank you, Obi, and thank you to our uh, the man of the sky, Mr. Tom Wally, the voice in the elevator, um, the fact checker himself. Yeah, I would just like to finish with a few kind of plugs. Do follow us um, on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. We are at The Wire Strips. Uh, or you can uh, join our Patreon, as mentioned, patreon.com forward slash The Wire Stripped. And don't forget to review on uh, your favorite podcast app, uh, such as Apple Podcasts, just Spotify, 
such as Amazon, such as Overcast, such as Pocket Casts. Uh, there's, there's many, many. <laughs> One of those ones. Stitch. Um, and we will see you next week for episode three, Homerooms. Homerooms. Something we don't have here. We do. Do you know of a form room? Do we? <laughs> uh, no. I feel like we t- feel like we talk about this on the episode. <laughs> getting us, I'm getting deja vu now. You just heard a stripped media production.